This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Or like sort of understated or what? This is a land that prays for a hero. The humor of the entire situation suddenly gave way to a run for survival. You are listening to Greening the Apocalypse on Triple R One O Two Point Seven FM. Hey. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Green in the Apocalypse, Triple R's weekly show about, definitely not about gardening tonight. Come nice a long, it. long way from gardening if we ever were. Um, but we'll get to that. Bushy's away. That's why it's me, Adam Grubb, talking now. As is Jed. Um, but we've got an excellent stand-in panellist, Kent, who's... Oh, you're not mic'd up, but um, his voice, if you were to hear it, it would be very familiar to um, Sunday... Triple R listeners from Radiotherapy, and uh, Sarah Coles is in the studio too. How are you, Sarah Coles? Pretty great. Yeah. Yep. I just went for a big swim, then I felt lightheaded, uh-huh. and then I found... Just out of interest, how far did you swim? I swam seven kilometres. That is outrageous. How far's Perth Rot Nest? 19.7. Okay, some way to go, but you're getting there. Yeah. That's very impressive. I found half a packet of country cheese biscuits in the glove box, luckily. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I would be in peril. <laughs> I nearly fainted in the kitchen before talking to Brian. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I went too far today, everyone. Don't try that at home. Mm. Not without adequate snacks. No. Well, thanks for the product placement. Um, <laughs> we, this is our first show back after Radiothon. I really have no idea how well we did. It was a bit boozy actually they don't let you get away with that stuff on commercial radio and for sometimes that there's re- good reasons for that um but thanks to everybody that put up with us and subscribed and if you haven't subscribed yet because uh, you weren't listening because you don't like listening to people go on about how good they are <laughs> or the right triple r is which it is it's amazing um but there's still time to subscribe you can subscribe uh until and pay up by september the 20th and you're going to run the running for all the amazing prizes and uh you should do it anyway do it for for your own sense of well-being and inner goodness well tonight we're definitely doing something a little bit different if I actually went to this amazing conference uh, sort of panel talk last week and it was these geeky gurus from all around the world, a couple of Silicon Valley types, mostly people with academic positions, some people working in industry, and they were all talking about artificial intelligence and some of the existential challenges that it might in the future have for the human race. We're not talking about just driverless cars but when we're talking about greater than human level intelligence and the person that organized that night has been doing he's got hundreds of interviews up online he's got his own youtube channel and his name is adam ford and 
He's a futurist and the founder and chair of Science, Technology and the Future, through which he puts on all these uh, regular get-togethers and conferences on this topic. And he came into the studio and talked to myself and yourself, Sarah Coles, earlier today. And uh, we've <laughs> it's pretty heady stuff, isn't it? I feel a bit strange I, since it. Yeah. It was mind-boggling. Yeah. I like it. It's given me, I feel like from talking to that man, mm-hmm. I want to go out and learn a bit about it now. Yeah. Because you knew about it before, but I, I came in with nothing. Yeah. Well, I hope this, you know, we'll, uh, we'll be watching Kent, your expressions through this to see <laughs> how much sense we're making. Um, but anyway, we should throw to the interview. So this is the fantastic Adam Ford talking about artificial intelligence. It's been in the news a fair bit lately, this idea. Idea that artificial intelligence could could pose an existential risk that could result in extermination of the human species. People like Stephen Hawking and Elon Musk have been making public statements. People like Mark Zuckerberg have hit back. He's called Elon Musk pretty irresponsible for breeding fear, and he says that in the next five to ten years, AI is going to deliver so many improvements in the quality of our lives. But it's pretty clear that they're actually talking about two different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's not only um, Elon Musk. It is like Bill Gates has also said some things about this, and it, it, it should be something that we are con- we have concern about. Now, I don't think Elon Musk's idea is to put breed fear into people so that they're irrationally scared of the idea of an intelligence explosion or artificial intelligence going beyond human level. However, I think it's about motivating to have more caution and build in as many safety mechanisms as as wisely possible mm. to bias the odds of achieving a beneficial outcome with strong AI and advanced AI in the future. Yeah, so it's the the short-term stuff, which, you know, self-driving cars and all the rest, which Elon Musk is actually really into. Bill, Bill Gates, who you mentioned, I found a quote where he makes the distinction between this near-term and long-term benefits versus risks with artificial intelligence. He says, first, the machines will do a lot of jobs for us and not be super intelligent. That should be positive if we manage it well. A few decades after that, though, the intelligence is strong enough to be a concern and that he agrees with Elon Musk on this and doesn't understand why some people, I think he might be referring to one Mark Zuckerberg there, and not concerned. Well, so, should we should we start before we really want to talk about the existential risks mm-hmm. in the in the future? But should we talk about first, just to make that distinction clear about what artificial intelligence is now? Because people say that we have it in many ways mm-hmm. um, with computer systems, and what is it doing for us at the moment? What could it do in the future, positive or negative? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. So it's got a lot of positive and negative near term applications. Mm. After all, I mean, artificial intelligence now is really just a tool. I mean, we can use it to amplify our our desires or wishes. We can use it to solve various problems. We can use it to help solve the problem of having less people killed on the road by having um, AI, which has been provably more efficient at driving than people, um, resulting in less fatalities and less injuries. Is it fair to say that what distinguishes a normal computer program from an artificial intelligent one is that the AI has an ability to learn? An AI does have ability to learn, but even the, the, distinct, 
the definition has been more broadly applied in the past. Expert systems without the ability to learn that exhibit quote-unquote intelligent behaviour mm. have been dubbed as artificial intelligence. It's been said there's been so many applications of AI in the past that once, it, once have been solved have no longer been considered intelligent. Like, for instance, it was once considered... Um, the peak of human intellect to, to be a, a grandmaster chess player. But in 1996 or 7, we had computers that could beat grandmasters in, in chess. And now, um, no grandmaster can really hold a stick to, um, to computers these days at playing chess. Yeah. Okay, like a, a simple program on a PC can beat grandmasters today. Hmm. So the program, what, what was the one that what was the first chess master computer program was it deep blue i think deep blue yeah. so i think it didn't really learn it just had a massive you know just it crunched just a, a lot of numbers space, uh, and it just just searched through all the, like it had a lot of rules built in and 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 sort of like a um you know obvious tactics on how to play chess yeah. and it just it was a massive database search and 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 was very efficient it just kind of won it. by brute force yes it was a whereas brute force. Search. The right. computer that won at Go recently, which is a much more complicated game again than chess, it was a, it had a, it had learning algorithms. It did, and, and it, it got better over time. It was really surprising for many people. Not many people actually believed that Go was a tractable problem in, until at least ten years in the future, and to some maybe never. Yeah. So the the idea that um, this deep learning slash uh, reinforcement learning algorithm that a uh, deep mind created um, it, it played itself time and time again millions of games per day and got to such a level of, of power that it could beat grandmasters yeah um, and and the thing is it was it, like it had already beaten sort of um, expert level and semi grandmasters in the past they didn't know whether it would actually beat Lee settle but they were very confident that it had a good chance. In the end, it was like a, um, a four-game match, and the AI won three times yep. out of four, which isn't bad. Right? <laughs> but <laughs> now these days... it routinely just like annihilates Go Grand Champions. So yeah, the deep reinforcement learning algorithm is, um, I guess, reignited people's interest. Uh, the the results there. There's a reason why there's been a lot of interest and a lot of um, media storm over this mm. recently because there's been demonstrable uh, progress in artificial intelligence. Mm. So, so we have these programs or computer systems that can learn now mm. and uh, train themselves, like in this case, but they're more or less like idiot savants. Like they have, tend to be very good at one thing. Yes, there's some exceptions, you know. Right. Um, we have, like, again, by DeepMind, the algorithm which has learned to play many varieties of arcade games just yeah. by getting a stream of pixels of unlabeled, uncurated data, mind you, yeah. and then working out um, just by using a, a reinforcement learning algorithm how to play that game by itself. No instructions, no human intervention. It's just the algorithm that sucks in the stream of pixels or, or frames uh, of uh, visual input, what we'd normally see on a monitor, mm. and um, optimise to increase a score. So, that, I mean, that's pretty crazy. Yeah, that's, absolutely. That's, yeah. This is progress. I mean, we yeah. have self-improving AI now, but in a very narrow domain of yeah. self-improvement. Mm -hmm. um, what we don't have is AIs that meaningfully understand what they're doing. Mm. They don't take a concept and understand it yeah. in the same way as we, we do. We think we do, yeah. okay? 
But there's been progress in theoretical understandings of what it means to understand. And so, yes, I, I don't see any obvious reason why we'll never be able to solve that. It's, but we cannot know what we'll discover tomorrow, how quickly we'll be able to absolutely solve this and, and um, turn it into an algorithm such that the AI can then understand something in the same way as we understand it, breathe fire into the equations. Yeah, yeah. So it seems to be there's like this um, this border zone that you cross over when you get to a more general intelligence and, and these abilities to be able to play a lot of different computer games might mm. be a very, very early stage in that. But where the, the computer or the software can understand itself in context, it can model itself and understand its place in the world mm. and have a more general intelligence that might apply across the kind of spheres that we consider at, at the moment, just domains that only humans are good at. Like mm. what? Well, for, for instance, understanding emotion would yeah, be a very difficult thing that for AIs to really make sense of today. They may be able to um, infer how, like, algorithmically how to deal with somebody if they've, if they've got a red face and they're dribbling and they've just been in a pub. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Radius on. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but it's, it's, it's one thing to, to be able to see that and label it as all that... That person's I have to bit... cut in on you two eggheads. Yeah, so, please. <laughs> all right. So can, in the future, would there be able to be artificial intelligence that can help people with psychological problems? I don't see any theoretical limitations to an AI eventually developing this ability. I, 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 unless there's something magical going on in the head that is completely unobservable unmeasurable but even we we, we, i can't know exactly what's going on in your head you you if if you deal with somebody who's got mental problems um you can't exactly know but there's a body of literature and people go through years of university training to become very good at it okay yeah of course they have the innate ability to recognize emotions and and understand people but to build on that there's a lot of theoretics that go into it a ai should be able to learn the theory and B, AI should be able to model what it means for us to um, make sense of human emotion. I don't think it's an interactable problem. So what, one of the first computer programs that interacted with humans Eliza. was Eliza, which was a fake therapist. Mm. Extremely not very smart, and it just sort of bounced your own... If it detected the word mother, it would say, tell me about your mother. Mm. <laughs> so at a very crude level, some people actually found that it got them um, talking to this... Uh, um, AI psychotherapist. Yeah. yeah, but it wasn't really AI. It was, no, it was very, an very expert simple. system. Yeah, very yeah. simple. But to 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 come back to our idea of actual AIs, one there, there's this idea that when you create the first artificial intelligence that's just a little bit more intelligent than a human, mm-hmm. but it can look into itself internally and reprogram mm-hmm. itself. Mm. Mm. You have something like an intelligence explosion, right? Some people it even could say it result could be the... in a te- an intelligence explosion. Mm. But let's what define what we really mean by human level intelligence. Mm. I mean, humans are great at some things, but poor at others. Yeah. So if you imagine the landscape of human intellect as like a series of peaks and valleys, peaks and valleys. Some are very tall. Some are sort of okay. They're sort of midway, and some are very sort of 
deep and, and sort of down. We're not very good at processing um, numbers. Uh, we, we, we're not good at mathematics. Is mm. We can't calculate nearly anywhere near as fast as a computer can. Yeah. Um, and we can't you know, search through masses of amounts of information as quick as a computer can. But we do have a, a, a form of pattern matching and inference that like uh, computers don't Aren't, aren't very good. We can learn much quicker from a limited set of examples. A computer needs a, v- a wide variety of examples. AI at the moment needs a very vast data set of examples to learn from. But the computer can learn, can rush through those examples much quicker than humans can. Mm. So there's a trade-off. But if you imagine this landscape of human intellect, and if AI is getting better in some respects, you can see that the water is rising um, and it's rising and rising. And so in time, it'll submerge, like, uh, I guess, maybe the mid-level of peaks in, in uh, human ability and intellectual ability and physical ability as well, if we include robotics. Then eventually, it should be possible and theoretically possible, as long as one of these peaks isn't magical, that the water level yep. of AI progress will eventually submerge all the peaks of human intellectual ability. Well, that is a frightening metaphor and what we want to talk about is how um, we don't drown in this sea of artificial intelligence Mm. Mm. wait so does that mean one day a computer can write the equivalent of tree of man i haven't read the tree of man but um i i imagine it could be so through you punch in all of the great literature of all time Mm -hmm. and then it spits out Pure genius, is that? <laughs> Interestingly, there's been some guy who created a, like a, um, an AI that created haiku. And he made some haiku himself or uh, collected haiku from other authors mm. and then interdispersed that haiku amongst AI-developed haiku. Yeah. And people couldn't really tell the difference, yeah. which one was created by an AI and which one was created by a human. Oh. Same with forms of music as well, you know. So at the moment, people are finding it hard sometimes to distinguish the creative output of, of an AI compared to just normal human creative output. Wow, that's interesting. Mm. So if we define general intelligence as a, a general ability to solve problems, uh, arbitrary problems in a, uh, a wide variety of domains, mm. if it really understands the, the concepts within each domain, it should be able to link them all. And this is the power of, of being able to get to that stage if the AI has the sort of memory cap- uh, capability that it does inherently is, is like in its design. We can see that um, AI can, or the computers can store things and, and put things into its memory so fast and it takes us years and years and years to learn things. Mm. Once it does get that ability to really understand, then it could be able to become experts in whole dom- like many domains of science. Imagine having an AI that had a, like a universal understanding of the sciences and then being able to correlate these sciences together and, and have an ultimate cross-disciplinary understanding of every science there is. I mean, that would just be unbelievable to us. I mean, we can't imagine what it would be like to have that sort of mind. Would it be written but theoretically, in 4chan? It's possible. <laughs> Is it 4chan, that thing? Fortran, yeah. Fortran. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it could be written in Fortran. <laughs> I guess so. Uh, look, I don't know. About hey, you the made a geek joke. Fortran. Yeah, did. but I got the name too. wrong. Yeah, well, they were both That's geeky fun. concepts. Um so what you're talking about is like if if you get it so a general intelligence might be something distinguished from something that can just play go really well but that can uh read a scientific paper give you advice about what tie to wear 
I don't know if anybody wears ties anymore. So if we were design to design the best burger you've ever yeah. tasted, yeah. right? Just from first principles, mm. Mm. <laughs> like mm. something that can just figure out all sorts of situations. Yeah. How far off are we from anything approaching that? There's been experts surveyed on this, and they vary greatly. But I, what I see is um, that most experts who have really considered the details think that it's it's probable, highly probable, and unlikely not to happen within this century, given that we don't go extinct first by yeah. some other means. If, if civilization continues, then it's likely we'll get superintelligence before the end of the century however there's a like a bell curve of um predictive horizons some people believe it'll happen sometime sort of late middle this century sometime between like 2040 to 2070 but there's still like there's a degree of belief that we should assign into this happening sometime even within the next five to ten to fifteen years it's high, it's possible and with every progress that, that is made, theoretical or engineered or demonstrable in the real world, updates people's beliefs about how long it's going to take to get to AI, to strong AI. Yeah. And if it's in, like, this short time frame, if it's likely, if there's a small degree of likelihood that it could happen in, in the next 5, 10, 15 years, then because the, the obvious impact of having superintelligence is so high, we should focus quite a number of resources on trying to manage risk and try and make sense of what it really means for us to instill value in such an AI. Mm. So if we, if we don't solve the problem before we actually get it, then we'll, we'll get a default sort of uh, superintelligence that may not be what we want. So re- reading about this stuff, one of the things – so I read um, Nick Bostrom's Superintelligence, which – Excellent book. Ma- I recommend that for everybody. It's a bit meaty. It's, it's pr- very – it's dense, yeah. but it's so worth the effort, and it's a great book. So I, I think he estimates mm-hmm. that currently – when at the time of writing, there were six people with full-time jobs worrying about um, – the challenges of keeping an AI constrained or benevolent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the amazing and just mind-blowing things about his vision of how, what an AI might look like, a super intelligent AI, is that it may have incredible abilities like we've been discussing to read all forms of human endeavors and understand the natural world. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, at the very core of it, where its values and goals are, it can be incredibly stupid. Mm. It doesn't come with common sense built in. And this is I, the orthogonality thesis where um, and, uh, uh, like, uh, degrees of intelligence don't correlate well with um, goals. It could be, uh, be optimised to maximise particular, any particular goal, no matter how intelligent it gets. It won't necessarily just turn around and become benevolent because it's intelligent. Okay. Yeah, We've he made that case so well. Too. Right. Yeah. I mean, you can. You, I was kind of thinking, you know, in terms of us, we're, we're sort of programmed with by evolution to have things like sex drives and mm-hmm. some and all sorts of things. But we can turn our intelligence into this like incredibly ornate, sophisticated thing. And at the end of the day, you're just trying to get laid, maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You are on Green in the Apocalypse on 3RRR and we've got a show-long interview tonight because it's a complicated one but a very fascinating topic. We've been talking with Adam Ford who is the founder of Science Technology and the Future Organisation about all things artificial intelligence and when we return to our interview 
He's going to start off by telling us about all the reasons why, if we're not careful, a super intelligent computer would wipe us out. The reason why an AI could actually exterminate all like uh, human life or all life that posed a threat to it achieving its goals is because it, it, it can intelligently design a method to do so. It can meticulously look at the problem of human interference in achieving its ultimate goal, whatever that may be, and then com- like completely wipe out the threat. And a whole lot of seemingly... Yeah, like climate change doesn't have the intention of getting rid of people. No. <laughs> <laughs> it, it just does so as a byproduct of being dis- destabilised, okay? Um, and so a lot of people might die, but then maybe enough people will live to, again, um, build another civilization, which then in turn builds AI and then wipes him out. <laughs> <laughs> what a happy thought. Well, um, Eliezer Yudkowsky... Mm-hmm who's one of the main researchers in the um, field, he, oh, to paraphrase him, he said something along the lines of, the AI does not love you, the AI does not hate you, but the AI may notice that you're full of atoms it could use elsewhere. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's not, we're not talking about these malevolent intelligences that want to wipe us out because they, because they hate us. Mm. It's just, it turns out to be remarkably difficult to give, to start them off with the right values. Could we give some examples of how s- setting it up from the outset might go badly? Mm. Like, you know, you could even start with something... Mm. The basic AI drives and... Yeah, as simple as, like, let's just give, it, give it the goal of... Yeah, okay, g- tell us about that. Well, okay, so the, the seemingly benign goal of giving a super intelligence, the, the goal of just optimising to find the best chess game possible, okay... Um, we already know that AI can beat humans at chess, but we're trying to find the best, most optimal chess game or the most optimal few. What could the AI do to come at a solution quicker and more efficiently? So if there's uh, this seemingly benign super goal, we can have sub-goals or sub-motivations that may fall out from that, may be a logical consequence of achieving the top goal, like, for instance, trying to protect its resources because if it gets turned off, it can no longer pursue that goal, okay? Whoa. If, if, if humans come and try to attack this um, computer then, well, or try to pull out the cord, you know, unplug it, for instance, then it can no longer achieve that goal. So all it wants to do is play the best game of chess. Yes. But it's, in, in it, turn, it's, it's so it's, smart. It's, it's modelled humans' behaviour and what they're likely to mm. do to turn it off, and it's... I don't know what it does, but it's... Mm. Okay, so humans are made of atoms, as you recently just said. We can use our atoms to optimise, like, the amount of hardware that it could sort of compute on. And so the faster it processes, the more hardware it has, then the more powerfully, um, optimally, it can actually achieve the solution of finding the best chess game. It may even recursively self-improve, so it may bootstrap to, like, you know, so far beyond our intelligence. It's really difficult to make sense of how it thinks. It could have a very alien mind. It may not be very human-like at all. Hmm. And so for us to try and then understand its motivations and predict its next moves would be very difficult. It would be kind of like a a goldfish trying to make sense of Mozart, It's as Hmm. Werner Vinge once said. So, yes, his... um, it's it's difficult to like uh, assume that you've got like a a, um, a benign AI when you've just only really made sense of the super goal. You need to be very meticulous in how you actually craft 
the the values or, or uh, in into an AI. So it tries to then make sense of your utterances and transform them into, um, I guess, goals that are not inimical to human interests and human flourishing. Yeah. So uh, even starting it off with the goal of playing chess, mm. it's going to try and stop itself being turned mm. off, maybe at the expense of your life. <laughs> yeah, so and it, capture so resources. Yeah, exactly. Capture huge amounts so could, of resources, vistas of resources. It its ultimate see- goal would be to turn the universe into a chess playing computer. Maybe. Yes, yes. Well, that's, that's, a, right. that's a scary thought. Really and it's, and, and, but say, say mm. you started off, its goal is to play chess. Mm. And it, it, if it has, a, and it has the ability to self-improve... Mm. It's one of its emergent goals, I think, the kind of thing you're talking about in terms of like staying alive, taking as many resources as it can, might also be to make sure that its goals don't change. So internally it has to protect so it, it, what if, you... If it's built in that way, if it really sees its, yeah. its, its um, goal mutation as del- deleterious to achieving its final goals, then yes, it would protect its goals. That's yeah. certainly correct. So mm. it... It seems like a lot of the researchers talk about this, that this what I, we were getting at earlier, that you can have the most intelligent thing that has ever ex- existed with a very stupid goal system at mm-hmm. its core. Yeah, that's correct. And that is, yeah. It's, it's it sounds like people. Ima- imagine, imagine being like that we are wiped out. Because, I mean, and probably a more likely scenario rather than playing chess might be that because they're likely to be produced by a corporation – Mm-hmm. It's given the goal of maximizing profits mm-hmm. for some corporation. Mm. Would that, does, does that seem likely? Well, I mean, it's likely that AI is being developed for that very purpose now yeah. um, to maximize the, um, I guess, the objectives of an organization, the people who are paying for it. Now, there may be some side benefits today that or, that we get, you know, the ability to search the sum of human knowledge with Google. That's useful, but it's it the the like the the goals may change mm. once humans no longer um, are meaningfully contributing to the economy, yeah. and that we they can't be sort of milked for money, <laughs> right? And so then the objective functions of the organisations may mutate into something more sort of self interested. Can we can we do a non geek check in, Sarah Coles? Okay, this is what I'm thinking about. Yep. Mm-hmm. Roald Dahl once wrote a story called William and Mary mm-hmm. when William had a terminal illness so he talked to his doctor and agreed to, have you read this story? he agreed to have his brain put in a Petri dish in a solution and he was kept alive and he, it just for me I'm picturing that somehow all of our brains are going to end up in Petri dishes with wires hooked up to some giant supercomputer and we're going to be enslaved. A kind of perverse instantiation of our values. But Roald Dahl did do a lot of coke, so (laughs) he could have just been paranoid post-war fantasy, but maybe he could see into the future. Brains in vats has been like a, a thing that philosophers have been discussing for a long time too, so I don't see it ultimately problematic to to achieve that for an AI. It might actually put all these brains in in vats. And I guess, like looking at it objectively, if it does mean that humans flourish more in general, they they get they're, they're more happy and they you know have sensitivity to novelty. Maybe it's not as bad as what it might look like, you know. But I happy imagine there's better sensi- solutions. Happy and sensitive. To novelty. novelty. So, okay, so oh. if you, like, imagine that, yeah. like, AI um, 
took our wish. Oh, we will all want humanity to be as happy as possible. Yeah. And so um, perversely instantiates this wish into the solution of tiling the universe with a replay of like an optimal happy moment for time and all eternity for the, until the end of the universe. Just maybe one second of one blissful moment and everybody gets to experience that frame kind of over like, and over and over and yeah, over yeah. and over again. A There's universal nothing orgasm. really novel about it. You get, Ad nauseum. That's right. Uh, uh, yes, uh, 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 like a, uh, um, uh, the universe gets tiled with happy faces. or It's like, like um, is, it, is it in a Monty Python movie where you go to heaven and it's Christmas it's like yeah for one yeah, day and then it's like that got old real fast <laughs> so you have to you have to make everybody you have to make these intelligences forget so that they can mm. keep the happiness alive mm. uh, and but yeah but it's hard for us to make a real strong prediction about what the what what a fut- what we may want in the future yeah. if we were smarter and wiser and more able to make sense of of value could we talk about um some of the more optimistic uh, outcomes that, because we've talked a little bit about existential risk that we could all be turned into, um, well, either just our atoms subsumed and taken over by the AI to so it can um, play a better game of chess, or probably not that much more encouraging at a deep level the idea that we could all get our atoms could be turned into a giant universal orgasm somehow. <laughs> there are more optimistic potentials here we're we're saying that if if we got over this hump of super intelligence it's so powerful that it will transform the world in ways that make the industrial revolution seem you know fairly insignificant in hindsight Mm. Mm -hmm. sure well what are some of the what's what's the barrier um if we imagine intelligence relating to units of effort that we can apply to solving problems some of the problems that we're facing today are just incredibly complex let's face it climate change the solutions are complex global coordination getting everybody to work together for you know unselfishly for a greater cause for everybody it's a difficult problem it's difficult to motivate everybody to do such a thing okay solving diseases is it a difficult problem but with the right amounts of um, intelligence these problems should be solvable okay there's no theoretical reason why these problems are completely unsolvable so what are some of the more utopian pictures that people portray of like what life might be post the advent of super intelligence we have a super intelligent that can solve the problems that are the barriers to achieving um a better society or to achieving a better trajectory of human progress, of civilizational progress in the future. We have a superintelligence that could allow us to um, make matter more fungible. We can take sand and turn it into very useful things like, you know, nutrients and building supplies. We can create from the ground up with nano advanced nanotechnology, atomically precisely putting atoms together in the right manner such that we achieve very cheap and very flexible, very strong, and very um, last-longing, uh, like material that we can use to build spaceships, perhaps, and other instruments, and even food, such that we'd be able to get off and inter- off this planet with re- limited resources and start using resources in space, like, for instance, dust and asteroids and things like that, and you know, really um, explore the the cosmos, explore what's out there, and you know, really follow our curiosity. So in, so in all these scenarios, though, humans are, 
we're not we're not the ones with the smarts anymore. What, what what's our relevance in this situation? Well, I mean, we could. It, there's some ideas in the sense that we could merge in, in our minds with a silo of super intelligence. We may even be able to merge minds with each other. In a sense, we'd be able to have an engineered form of um, compassion and empathy that's far beyond the sort of empathy we have evolved, which arguably is good in some cases and like uh, and bad in others. So empathy isn't the final solution, but maybe some form of different empathy, uh, 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 an engineered form of empathy that so Ma- is more inclusive. It's magic mushrooms. Life. Really? Does it work? Something to do with artificial intelligence and magic mushrooms. You think they will come together mm-hmm. as one? Yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> so Ben... Um, Oh, what's his name? Ben Ben Goetzel, yeah. who uh, you you who was spoke at a conference that you talked yep. at recently. He is he's considered one of the foremost researchers in the field of AI. He works for Hanson Robotics, and uh, so mm-hmm. he, he has, OpenCog is the open source um, AGI program yeah, that he's got going. Yeah, yeah, and he is um, tie dyed Californian. Yeah. Stoner hippie <laughs> at the same time, and he's got this. What is the Co- Cosmist Manifesto? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so him and a number of people sort of contributed to that. It was based on like um, some Russian cosmologist uh, sort of theories in the past, but yeah, it's pretty prosaic. It's worth reading. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I really, uh, I, I mean, everything that we say looking into the future can sound so speculative and um it's probably you know easy to take the the piss out of like the further and the bigger your vision is but i think it is fair to say that if super intelligence came into being that all bets are off in terms of what is possible within the realms of within the realms of what physics makes possible Mm -hmm. and even then as many people believe including ben that human intelligence is as they say substrate independent i.e. that you could be digitized and live inside a computer and from your subjective perspective, you're just you're just you. There's, you can remember when you were a human being in a human body and now your intelligence is being modeled or run inside this completely different environment where although that um, CPU speed still requires energy, it still um, produces heat out in the real world, inside that artificial world even physical limits as we know them don't need to apply. So that- in the virtual world, it may appear that we're like, um, you know, traveling without the limitations of the speed of light. So we could appear like we're in exactly. the middle of one galaxy and then suddenly we transport to another galaxy. Yeah, and I- there's physical limits that could be overcome in simulation world, right? Yeah, and so basically mm. some of these guys are saying like the, the, the promises <laughs> given by religions... Look pretty pitiful, given mm. what they actually think is potentially possible in the real world. Mm. Yeah. So I mean, it's very interesting to think about what we could do if we did um, solve the problems of substrate independence. If we could have our mind exist on a durable substrate that may be able to uh, survive in hostile, currently hostile environments. At the moment, we've only we've evolved only the ability to survive on this thin film of this tiny speck in the mm-hmm. cosmos, on you know one galaxy arm of this galaxy within a supercluster of galaxies within you know an infinite set of many other galaxies superclusters who knows how many i say infinite but maybe it's not I, I just don't know so it's very small the amount of environments that we in that we can actually 
exist in at the moment. Um, so what we imagine, often the science fiction fantasy projections of the future of uh, humans existing in these big spaceships, these big bubbles that contain a very human hospitable environment. So it's like engineering everything except ourselves. But why can't we engineer ourselves to be able to survive in hostile environments? What if we could um, survive by, you know, uh, taking energy from the sun or, you know, feeding off geothermal energy instead of just sandwiches and coffee, right? We could... (laughs) It's possible, theoretically. It's Sounds less pleasant, but yeah. Well, you could, you could also, you could still eat the sandwiches and drink the coffee if you so desire. <laughs> we could have some form of like morphological freedom. We could live on like uh, sort of foglets of nano dust that sort of float around the galaxy and explore different <laughs> environments, become one with rivers, one with the the atmosphere of Jupiter, and and see things from a very different perspective. So, the well, other thing is. We You're could blowing also, our mind here, well, we Mr. Can design, we can design our minds. We can design our experience. Imagine our minds are just really in the space of all possible minds, in this big mind space of what's possible. We may be, as humans, only inhabiting this tiny experiential pixel. If we could um, change the way that our like uh, minds work, in a sense, and maintain maybe if we desire a sense of continuum of identity through the through morphing through this poss- mind uh, this uh, possibility space of um, of experience then we may be able to achieve states of consciousness that even the grand masters of Zen Buddhism has never even imagined technology I mean if could could solve these problems in in very I guess hard to imagine ways in the future yeah designer experience i thought i find well, that very interesting if there's any take-home message from all this is that you know if like you said if human if we can keep civilization going for long enough there's some very interesting things coming down the pipeline there are possibilities of both great pain and great pleasure mm-hmm. and uh thank you for your time adam ford it's been my pleasure it's been great challenging and <laughs> very very interesting Yes, absolutely. And I encourage everybody to read and do a lot of research in this subject because it may be the the most important problem that we we need to solve, and that is the problem of making superintelligence inimical to human interests and, I guess, beyond. So we need to really solve that problem before we stumble into a solution that we may not want. Beautiful. And you are always organising conferences and Mm -hmm. gatherings on this and other topics. Can you... Mm -hmm. Sure. Tell folks where to find out more. Right, yes. So um, I've got a YouTube channel. You can just search my name, Adam Ford, on YouTube, or you can search The Rational Future. I've got a website um, based on science, technology, and the future called scifuture.org. Just by Googling my name and futurology, you should be able to find out what's going on. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.